I'd like to uh, invite you to open your Bibles to Romans, the 15th chapter. And uh, we are going to uh, read in just a moment a section of Scripture uh, that doesn't always get talked about because sometimes Paul's uh, letters uh, get read in terms of the middle, the meat of those letters, and we sometimes neglect uh, those portions of the letter that are at the beginning or the very end, and there's some very important insights that he offers us, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. Before that, I would like to invite you to bow your heads for a time of silence, for meditation and reflection, as we bow in God's presence and listen, and then I'll lead us in our family prayer. Eternal Spirit, we truly soak up these moments of silence to simply be in your presence because the world is full of noise and we are constantly bombarded with messages about priorities and what we ought to be doing. We want to simply be quietly in your presence to receive from you that mercy and love and that naming of us in your grace that lets us know that we are special, created in your image and valued by you. We pray that we can live in response to your great generosity in all that we do and that you will bless our hearts as we worship this morning. We pray for our world beyond our city limits, beyond our county line, a world that is literally in flames for the devastation in California for those families who've experienced loss, for those still uh, being sought and missing, we pray that you would bless those responders and emergency workers. We pray for our country in a time when we desperately need you, that we might look to you and that we might live by your grace and by your love, and that we might put aside selfishness. We pray today for our mission partners everywhere in the world and here at home as well. We think about our Thanksgiving season that is approaching for the special community meal that will be served for your blessing upon that witness of love. And in the coming season of Advent, may we spend our time looking for those curious opportunities to share the reason for our hope and joy. We ask God that you today instruct our hearts as we listen to Scripture, as we listen to your Word that you would grant us to hear your word, to read it, to mark it, to learn and inwardly digest it, that we might, through your grace, embrace that hope that is in Christ Jesus. So let the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Romans 15, beginning in verse 20, and if you're able, would you stand, please? As we listen attentively to God's word, the Apostle Paul writes in the closing portion of this masterpiece of the Roman letter, Thus I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news, not where Christ has been named, so that I may not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him shall see, and those who have never heard of him shall understand. This is the reason that I have so often been hindered from coming to you. 
But now, with no further place for me in these regions, I desire, as I have for many years, to come to you when I go to Spain. For I do hope to see you on my journey and to be sent on by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem in a ministry to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do this, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material things. So when I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will set out my way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I remember exactly where I was the first time I ever saw this quote. I was sitting in a seminary class, and I was so moved by it that I went up to my professor after class, Dr. Coble, and I asked him for a copy of it. I want to share it with you now. It's by William Newton Clark, who lived, uh, was born in 1841, lived to 1912, but there's some truth that is just always universal and doesn't have an expiration date on it. He said, the narrowing of the idea of salvation is a main cause of the weakness of the missionary motive. Many suppose that to be saved is to be taken care of and brought into a place of safety and a state of welfare. But to be saved is to be brought into moral fellowship with God. It is to receive something of God's character. To be saved is to become at heart a savior in fellowship with him. Now I want us to leave that on the screen for a few moments because that's a lot to bite off and to think about. And I want to challenge you, even though it's the 815 service, to really work at that and to think about that. That to be saved is not just about being safe and protected and delivered and going to heaven someday when I die. To be saved is to be brought into a moral fellowship with God to be brought into such a relationship with God that we actually start to take on some of God's character, God's personality, generosity, giving, loving, and to do that in a way that we at heart become miniature saviors in fellowship, in partnership with God. That's a lot to absorb, and maybe you see why I went up to Dr. Coble after class and asked for a copy of that. And all through the years, I've been really empowered by that thought. Uh, you know yourself how fun it is to look at characteristics of, of grandparents and parents that are passed on to children and grandchildren. We were looking at family pictures yesterday and uh, absolutely amazed at how some pictures of our daughter Tamara uh, so closely resemble pictures of her daughter, Marin, and, and uh, the physical features. And you've probably noticed about uh, loved ones and people who are related, uh, an expression or a tilt of the head or the way she laughs or the way he walks reminds me of so-and-so because we tend to take on the characteristics of those to whom we're related and those whom we love, and those whom we're in connection with. 
And so scripture says that we in relationship with God through Jesus Christ take on those characteristics. See, to come into Christ means that we come into moral and character connection with God and we become miniature Christ. That's what the word Christian means. Christ ets. And we walk around and we reflect the character qualities of our heavenly parent. Now I'm guessing that that's some of what explains for us the Apostle Paul's obsessive behavior. He had been Saul of Tarsus, a terrorist against the early movement of following Jesus. And then he flipped. And now this one who had persecuted is doing all he can to raise money, to bring people to Christ. In fact, he's so obsessed, he says to the Romans in this letter, he's writing from Corinth, by the way, he says, all I want to do is pioneer work. I want to go where Christ has never been preached. I want the joy of introducing people to Jesus who've never heard of him. I want them to know the good news of how God is restoring creation, that God is taking the chaos of our brokenness and creating newness in Christ. He says, I just love that pioneer work where, where the, no, no work's ever been done. That explains because he's taken on some of God's character through his relationship with Jesus Christ. But Paul not only cared passionately about reaching lost people, taking on the character of God, taking on the personality of God, caring about God's mission also meant that he cared about the poor. He cared about people who were hungry. He cared about people who didn't have homes, who, uh, people who didn't have enough clothing, people who were living in the street, people who were destitute without hope. And so he was taking a collection for the Christ followers in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know all the reasons. We can piece together history. We think some of the reasons there was such extreme poverty in Jerusalem among the early believers was a combination of a famine and Roman persecution, uh, a whole lot of socioeconomic historical factors. But the, the fact is that the early believers, the followers of Christ in Jerusalem, were destitute. And if you look at a map and read the New Testament, you see that the Apostle Paul made an ark in in the Mediterranean world, visiting churches, not only sharing Christ, but saying, oh, and by the way, as Christ has given you a new love, I need to collect an offering I'm taking back to Jerusalem. And that's what he's writing the Romans about. I'm taking up an offering. And I want you to have a part in that blessing. Because... To belong to Christ is to be like Christ and it's to love God's mission the way, the way that Christ loves God's mission. And so he's gathering up this money. And it's sort of interesting if you look at a map. Paul says, I want to come far west and visit you in Rome. But before I do that, I'm going to come, I'm going to go far east. I'm going to go to Jerusalem with this offering. It's like saying, I'm in Missouri I really want to see you in Los Angeles, but I'm going, to go, I'm going to come to Los Angeles by way of Washington, D.C. Because he was so passionate about the, the needs of these poor, poor Jerusalem Christ followers. And as we explore this text and we think about how Paul was describing taking on Christ's character and as he was describing what it means to love God by loving God's mission, 
there are two words I want us to focus on that are, that are powerful word pictures. And here's the first word. The first word is debt. Paul uses that word in, uh, in verse 27. He says, uh, they were pleased, those churches in Europe, Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, Athens. They were pleased to take up an offering. Indeed, they owed it to the believers in Jerusalem. For the Gentiles have come to share in spiritual blessings, so they need to share in material needs as well. He says they have a debt. The Greek followers of Jesus have a debt to the Jewish followers of Jesus because Jerusalem is where the faith began. Love is the deepest and richest debt when it comes to sharing financially. It's a deeper debt than uh, guilt. It's a deeper debt than manipulation. It brings much more joy than a sense of ought to. Uh, We don't get a blessing unless our giving is joyful. God loves a cheerful giver, giver, not under compulsion. Paul had written that in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to one of those Greek churches. Uh, There's a biographers tell us this delightful story about Billy Graham and his wife Ruth. Early in their ministry, when they, I I think, were young and struggling uh, to get established and to, to, uh, to make it financially, they were attending a worship service and the offering plate was passed and Billy uh, reached in his wallet and he pulled out what he thought was a $5 bill and he put it in the offering plate. But as it went by and as it left him, he realized instead of a five, it was a $20 bill. And this was back in the 1940s, you know, $20 went a long way. And his wife punched him and leaned over to him and Ruth said to him, you only get the blessing for the five you thought you put in. I think she had that ministry in Billy's life. I think she kept his feet on the ground. But in a sense, she was right. You know, we only get the blessing for what we want to do. We can give out of grudge or out of guilt or out of obligation, but the deepest debt and the richest debt is the debt of love. That's what Paul is saying here. Because of God's great love for you, for us, we give because that debt is a is a rich and blessed debt, and, and we just can't outgive God. He says, we, we owe that to, to the place where our faith started. And I would say this this morning, no matter who you are, no matter what's going on in your life, wherever you stand in the river of life, you owe somebody thanks upstream. Whoever you are and whatever you're living in, as you stand in the river of life, you owe owe someone upstream some gratitude because somebody upstream helped and blessed your life. And you may not even be aware of it and you don't even have to know all of it. Paul was saying in this passage, I think, that there's a humility that we experience when we give. The humility is... We're saying, you know, something happened before I got here. Sometimes we act as if we are the first Christian generation. That nothing happened on planet Earth till we arrived. I mean, don't we in our arrogance sometimes act that way? But to give is to acknowledge something happened before I showed up. 
Someone was here before me. And I want to give in that sense of debt to sort of pay it forward in a blessing to others. Here's the second word that Paul uses. It's koinonia. He uses it twice. That is the word that is most often translated into English fellowship, koinonia. But I want to warn you, it means much more than cookies and coffee. You know, Baptists have turned fellowship, we're like Pavlov's dog. You say fellowship, we start salivating. Food? (laughs) Food? Koinonia is a deeper word than that. It means a partnership formed. It means a bond created. And it's usually a fellowship, a partnership formed, a bond created in a time of deep risk when we take chances and we do something exciting and worthwhile and valuable. Paul says in verse 26, for the Macedonian uh, church was pleased to share their resources. The word is the verb form of koinonia. They were pleased to koinonia their resources with the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And then he says it again in verse 27. For if the Gentiles have come to koinonia in the spiritual blessings, then they ought to koinonia in the material blessings too. It means a kind of a glue, a kind of adhesive that when we give, we somehow get connected with Christ followers in Kenya and Christ followers in Ukraine and Christ followers uh, in the community, maybe some people we don't even know and people who need to know Christ in other places. There's something about money that acts as an adhesive and it glues us and causes us to love God's mission even more. Now I want to say a parenthetical word here to First Baptist folks. If you're visiting this morning, you can just listen in. Because this is a word from the pastor's heart to FBC members and active participants. I think historically, we've always done great at special emphasis giving. We do well at emotional giving. If I told you this morning of a special need in Kenya, I bet we would raise the money in no time. Youth Dessert Theater, raising money for summer mission trip, we have a blast on that Sunday night in December uh, when, we, when we give so generously. Great thing. Benevolence offering that we take at the door every first Sunday of the month. I'm so proud of this church. And we do so much with that emotional, that special event or that special needs kind of giving. But I want to I speak a word this morning that reminds us this church is a mission too. We are a way station. Gospel work happens here. And it's never as romantic and exotic to do the disciplined, sustained giving to the storehouse. That's what the Bible calls it, storehouse giving. Tithes and offerings to support the church budget. It's never as sexy. Can you believe I said that word on a Sunday morning? It's never as sexy to give to the, to the budget But folks, this is a mission point. Children hear the gospel Sunday morning and Wednesday nights in choirs and mission activity and 
Sunday school classes. On Wednesday night, 80 youth come and hear the gospel in their Wednesday night worship. And their Sunday evening youth choir and, and their, their spiritual disciplines that they learn through their retreats as they learned about prayer last weekend. Um, you think about the elderly who are touched, physically touched, by our extensive homebound ministry in this community. You think about the FBC Care Store and the lives we touch with people in the community who don't have resources to get basic medical and, and uh, survival grocery needs taken care of, and on and on and on, all supported by this church budget. We're a mission, too. This is gospel work, and we need to remember that. It's important. It's vital. And there's something about money that creates that shared partnership, that that created bond, that spiritual adhesive that helps us love more deeply. Think about this for a moment. Loving the church causes us to give. But think about this. Not only does loving the church cause us to give, but sometimes giving causes us to love the church. Sometimes we give just because we're supposed to, and the love comes out of that. Tyler knew what he was talking about when he said, I give because mom tells me to. Sometimes it's the discipline of giving because it's in giving that we come to love the church. It's that koinonia, that deep, mysterious bonding. And Paul says, I've come to love Christ and I've come to love Christ's mission. And I want to give everything to it I can. And I want to help you get in on the blessing. See, taking on God's nature means taking on God's giving spirit all year long in our worship we've been talking about. Come see what love can do. And this is what love does. Love creates in us that partnership with God where we take on God's characteristics and we love God's mission the way God does. Somebody has said that uh, the most creative way to spell love is not L-O-V-E. It's G-I-V-E. That's how we spell love, by giving.